Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, one of my favorite days of the week. It's time for our mailbag segment. Some of you guys and girls have submitted some really good questions. All the answers are 100% guaranteed correct. So let's get started. All right, we'll start with John, who says, I'm pretty damn sure the awful Halloween game will be a major wake-up call for the Buccaneers and believe they'll end up in the NFC Championship game, home or away as three-point underdogs away at most. Wouldn't you agree? I don't know, but I'm that confident. I mean, NFC Championship game. Um, I will say, though, if you check Tom Brady's resume, and who hasn't, right, you know, uh, the times that he has gone to the Super Bowl either whether he's won, won them or not. Of course, he went back-to-back back one time, the last quarterback to do that, last team to do that with the Patriots 03-04. But almost always when he reaches the Super Bowl, the next year definitely in the playoffs, and for the most part gets back to at least the conference championship and a few times the Super Bowl. Didn't win them uh, except the one time like we just mentioned. But So the track record is really, really good. Um, in terms of, you know, Brady, of course, Brady just getting there in general, right? I mean, he's been uh-huh. there 10 times in 20, 20 years, so it's every other year uh, on average. So you have that. Um, I would say that it will be a wake-up call for them. Uh, sometimes, you, you know, we, we talked about Huber. Sometimes you can learn a lot more in defeat. Of course, coaches always want to make corrections when you win, because it's not as painful, but um, I, I think a lot of times you can fool yourselves, you know, if, if you're winning games and sort of ignoring the problem. And I think that's what's been happening with them with the penalties. Um, the schedule is going to turn a little bit in their favor for these next few weeks. They're going to start off with, you know, playing at Washington against the Washington football team that also has a bye week this week, but they're practicing, if that tells you anything. <laughs> I mean, Ron Rivera has them out there on, on Wednesday this week. So he's not giving them time off. And, you know, I mean, it's a Washington team that they really struggled a little bit with a year ago in the in the postseason. They won the division, I think, at 6-10 and 10 or whatever it was. And, um, you know, they gave them some fits. But this is a good team for the Bucks to start their second half with because, um, you know, I, I think they're going to go out there uh, a lot more disciplined. That's the word that Bruce Arians has used and rightfully so when you have 11 penalties for 99 yards and have been warned not to rough the quarterback, and so you go out there and rough the quarterback and knock one out for the season. So he's got their attention, and you know the turnovers is something that really Tom Brady has avoided except against the Saints. He's been pretty good with the football this year. Um, he will take that upon himself and, and own that and you know make better decisions. Um, I don't expect him to turn the ball over uh, like he did against the Saints. I think he'll he'll get that corrected. So, yeah, I, I do think that it's going to be, um, in addition to the fact that, let's be honest, the best thing that can happen to them is they get some players back. I mean, they need to get healthy. And the extra time, if you consider, 
you know, they won't play this week. They won't play until the following Sunday. So it's really almost like 14 more days for those guys to get healed up. And if you can get a Carlton Davis, if you can get a Sean Murphy bunting, if you can start to have some continuity in that secondary, the communication would certainly help. You know, Ross Cockrell had a bad game. Um, you know, Antoine Winfield, of course, you know, made the interception in the end zone, didn't do, you know, it was taken away. But they they didn't really play well um you know, on the back end or the front end. I mean, we talked about the 22 blitzes that Todd Bowles called. None of them got home. So there's a lot of improvement to be made on both sides of the ball. And the fact of the matter is they're not playing as good of a football team as New Orleans. Now, they have not scored well on the road. They haven't scored 30 points yet this year on the road. Um, and, and, of course, you know, both their losses have come on the road. So there definitely is a bigger advantage for them playing at home. They need to get this road win. They need to go on the road, play well, um, get the game in the 30s, and, and do what they do. But I, I do think it will be a bounce-back game because the rest will help. These guys will have fresher legs. They're not going to do anything this week. And um, teams coming off the bye, particularly Bruce Arians' teams, are typically pretty good the, the next time out. So I would expect that to happen. Well, in regards to his NFC Championship game prediction, Tell me if they win the division or not. Exactly. Exactly. Because if they have, if they don't win the division, that's two road games just to get to the NFC Championship game. Yeah, very tough. You could be going to Dallas or the Rams um, or New Orleans. You know, you just don't know. Um, just to start out with, and then have to follow that up with another road game. So yeah, um, they need to win the division, and that's really what Brady has done in New England when he would make it back to those AFC Championship games or the Super Bowl. He always won the division, and it starts there. And I, you know, just kind of looking at it and taking a step back, I, I still think they're in great shape to win this division because I, I think the Saints are going to have an adjustment period. You know, it, it was in, in credit them, all the credit in the world goes to them for winning that game. The fact of the matter was, they were losing that game. They had a big lead, and they gave it up. Um, and the Bucks got some breaks, obviously, with Leonard Burnett fumble not being a fumble or not being a catch that sort of thing. But, the, you know, the Bucks came back on them and had the lead. And if not for some more penalties, and then, of course, the interception at the end, I mean, how many times I, I felt pretty confident, you know, with one time out under two minutes, Tom Brady needing a field goal to win the game. Almost always, you know, he, he wins the game and he throws the interception. So, you know, they weren't that far away from winning that football game, about five minutes away as it turns out. And they played about as badly as you could play. I mean, you know, you, you, you get three turnovers, all the penalties, um, all the first downs, all the points that they gave them off those penalties, you know, and you still are in the game and have the lead and just need a stop or a field goal and can't get either one. So, you know, the, the Bucks are a better football team. The Saints will have to move forward without Jameis Winston. Teams will game plan, you know, for their, for their team now um, going forward without him at quarterback, and it's going to be tough on the Saints. So um, I, I, th- I still think the Bucks. I was looking at this, uh, you know, they do these computer models on ESPN, different places, and they said that um, the Bucks are still the second highest percentage to reach the Super Bowl, and number one is now the Buffalo Bills. So they really didn't lose anything in the eyes of, of Las Vegas anyway. Well, that leads us to our next question from Allie, who said, do you think the Bucks are in a better position overall heading into the bye this season compared to last season? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, at 7-5, and five, um, you know, they, they were a beat-up football team that wasn't playing great 
and they had lost two out of three going into the bye. You know, they've, they've lost one game. That's their losing streak for the year. Um, they were in much worse shape. And, and there was, you know, there still wasn't any kind of synergy um, between Brady, Byron Leftwich, and the offense. It was sort of scattershot. You know, he was still, I think, trying to run Bruce's offense. They were still taking too many shots down the field. They hadn't committed to the running game yet. Um, now, similar to this, after this bye week, the schedule changed. It favored them, you know, and they had a very late bye week. I mean, seven and five in a sixteen game season to go twelve games without it without a week off is a long time. Um, but when they came back, uh, you know, they they had teams like Atlanta, and you know, they were they, twice, and they were able to. Um, you know, just be better, even though they fell down 17 to nothing. Um, really, the second half of that Atlanta game was when, when they really took off and got aggressive on offense. And and I think just, you know, they adapted. They changed some things on offense with Brady, pre-snap motions, all that. And it just worked. It just got better. And they got better and better um, the second half. But but that team was in far – like, we didn't even know they would make the playoffs. At 7-5, and five, they were not um, – they would not have been in the playoffs at that point. You know, if the season ended today, and of course, you know, it's the old cliche, but it doesn't. But if it did, you know, the the Bucks would be, you know, well, right now they'd have a half game lead, you know, over the Saints. But after this weekend, they would be a wild card, but they'd be in the playoffs. That was not the case back at seven and five, I don't believe. I could be mistaken about that, but I don't think I'm wrong about that. Um, it just wasn't, it just didn't look like it was guaranteed. And, you know, three point losses to the Rams in Kansas City, um, falling way behind, you know, getting thumped by the Saints before that. So I, I had a lot more doubts about them last year than I do. Remember, people have to understand, you know, until Sunday, they were 6-1, and one, the best start in franchise history. And Buck's timeline is going nuts about how poorly coached they are, uh, you know, all this kind of nonsense. And it's like, uh, yo, like, you know, 48 hours ago, it was the greatest start in the history of the franchise. Think you're a little spoiled at this point? So, yeah, don't run them off yet. We talked about this on the podcast a little bit yesterday. I I think we I had them in my mind going 13 and 4. You know, there's two more games they could lose out there. You know, the Saints could could be one of them and if they do, it may cost them the division. Certainly uh, Indianapolis is a is a playoff type team. The Bills at home, um people think they're a Super Bowl team. So, and then you just don't know when you get back in the NFC South, you know, if and I don't think this will happen with Carolina or Atlanta where to step up they got the Giants they got the Jets we just saw Mike White you know upset uh you know upset a team I mean you know anything can obviously happen but I think for the most part their 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 heavy lifting is behind them and um and they should be good going forward did you see the guy who put a thousand dollars on Mike White to lead the NFL in passing in week eight no he didn't at 125 to one how would you even how would you even make that bet <laughs> Well, you, I mean, unless you're related to him, actually, I mean, you'd have to have like a real in week eight. So he not only picked well, what I mean, he would I mean, do. He did it this week when they knew Zach Wilson was out. He put the bet in before the, yeah, yeah, before yeah. the games on Sunday to lead the NFL in passing. Wow, yeah, for that week. And his name was Willie Taggart. T A. <laughs> yeah. See where Willie and all those. Oh yeah, dangerous player. Dangerous player. <laughs> but. Yeah, it was. It's a great. It's. I mean, this weekend was the weekend of the backup quarterbacks. I mean, who saw those three guys winning? Right? They all. They all. And that just it reinforces, like you know, 
and, and I don't know that you want to, you know, Mike White's not going to be the future of the New York Jets or probably any team. However, um, every quarterback in the NFL is good, okay? They can all throw the ball. You know, I remember Dan Orlovsky saying, you know, he was, you know, I was a really good quarterback. And he goes, but my coach said to me, there's like five decisions a game, you know, five throws that you either have to make or shouldn't make. And it's what you do. He goes, the other the other 60 plays, I was as good as anybody. But he goes, you'd be surprised what a, what a difference those five plays make in your in your career and in your legacy and how you're looked upon. And the guys that do it, the guys that win, the guys that are, you know, starters in their in their careers for their entire careers, they're the ones that can make those five plays. And, you know, so they're all good um and good for Mike White, but uh as soon as, as soon as their franchise quarterback is back, he'll be in the lineup, so but that's that's a hell of a bet. Well, speaking of those plays, as we talked yesterday, Dave had asked, "Do you really think that was a horse collar tackle on Jameis Winston? I thought you had to grab the top of the jersey or shoulder pads." Well, by definition, I don't have the rule in front of me, but it says nameplate. It says nameplate um, or higher. Yeah, so they they've recognized that you know it's it's sort of the act of of pulling a guy backwards uh, in that position when his momentum's coming away from you. That's dangerous. I mean they. You know, that used to be a legal tackle, but the problem is guys were suffering the exact same injury, and I don't think it's a coincidence. You know, it's it's almost reinforces that yes, this is a horse collar tackle, and yes, it has to we have to discourage this because it cost the quarterback his season. And if that had been Tom Brady, if that had been Patrick Mahomes, um, and it's not you know, the Saints fans aren't happy about it, obviously. They lost their starter. Um, you know, it's not Drew Brees, but that was their guy. And so that's why that play was was outlawed several years ago. And you don't have to, you know, grab inside the shoulder pads by the neck area to get a guy down that way in that awkward position. So they've made it the nameplate. Um, we, we saw why, and it's unfortunate. But, yeah, it, it, by definition of the rule, it, it was a horse collar and, and you know, a day. Now, did did Devin White intend to hurt him? Absolutely not. I mean, he's grabbing for anything he can to get him on the ground, and and I understand that. And you you have to. That's the part of football, you know that that injuries are a part of, right? It's not. There's not malicious intent. I imagine there probably has been in the past, but not on that play. Those guys are good friends, and Devin White would would certainly not want to a hurt his team with a penalty and b knock out his friend for the season if he could do it over again. But He's just out there trying to make a ball play, um, and you can't really fault him. But they, but they show these guys these videotapes at the start of every year. They they warn them. They have points of emphasis. This is emphasized by referees every season, not not to grab guys by the shoulder pads or near their nameplates. Um, can you make that decision in a split second? Maybe not. Um, but this is why they want them to. They want them to really discourage the practice of bringing a guy down this way and. You know, so who knows more about a horse collar than a horseman like Devin White? But you know, it's just it's it's just really unfortunate. Simon had tweeted, "How much of a struggle is it for a defense when a backup comes in unexpectedly? With the weekend event events, it makes me wonder. Obviously, you spent your whole week watching film on the starter, so how tough is it to adapt in game when you really don't know the quarterback?" Well, I mean, they look at all these quarterbacks, and yeah, they're not studying uh, or game planning necessarily for a guy uh, that's going to potentially come off the bench. Um, but that's not to say that they they don't know anything about Trevor Simeon. 
for the most part, regardless of who comes in, they're still running the Saints offense. You know, they're not going to go to the wishbone. So, you know, you're still preparing to to play the formations. You're going to get the looks, um, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, two tight ends, one running back, one running back, three wide receiver. I mean, so those formations and those looks are going to be the same. And so you're going to play them as you you scouted them uh, and prepared, regardless of who the quarterback is. Now, one thing that was very obvious, and I'm not surprised because I know Todd Bowles, who blitzes more than any team in the NFL typically, um, as soon as Trevor Simeon showed up, it was Katie bar the door. They came every play. I mean, they they tested that guy right off the bat. It's like, let's see him coming off the bench cold, if he can you know, identify the hot, get them in the right position, make a good, accurate throw. And you know what? For the most part, he beat him on the blitz. He beat him every time. Well, and and I think a, Sean Payton did a good job calling plays that allowed him to beat the blitz. Absolutely. Too, because Sean and Payton knew the blitz was coming. Sean anticipated. He knows Todd Bowles, and he anticipated, okay, they're coming after us now. You know, we've got a backup quarterback in there. They're going to do what we would do. And and he, you're right. He had the screens. He had the bubble screens. He had the ball coming out of his hand fast. But Simeon still had to execute it. Mm-hmm. He still had to locate the receiver, make a good, accurate throw, stand in the pocket, take the hit, whatever it was. And – you credit him for, you know, with with very little or no reps at all. I mean, this is something that people don't understand, too, about the NFL. When you see a quarterback come into a game because the starter is hurt, be aware that he has almost taken virtually no reps at practice. You know, the starter is going to get 90 95% of them. And sometimes, you know, your, your backup quarterback usually is running your offense. Your third quarterback is running scout squad you know, third or fourth, depending on what you have, you know, on, on your roster. So the backup, you know, that job description is to go out there and prepare mentally more than physically. You just don't get to go against the scout squad defense of name the team you're playing that week. You might get a couple reps at best, sometimes none. Um, so that's part of the job description. So they were going to test him, you know, because he hadn't played. And, you know, he relied on his experience of being in there before. He's, I think he's played for three or four teams and, and did a really nice job. And, you know, hats off to him. But uh, it, it's not harder. It, sh- it You know, it should be an advantage because it's a, it's a quick change type of deal. Now, if it was a different style of quarterback, if it was somebody that, like, was suddenly mobile. I was going to say in college you'll see that more often where right. the quarterbacks may be completely different styles. One That's runs, correct. one doesn't. One, you know, yeah. The skill sets may be drastically different. Where in the NFL, your backups are generally a similar skill style to your starter for that reason, that they can jump in and, and run the same mm-hmm. offense. Yeah, and you don't, you know, like, uh, this was always, you know, sort of the discussion about, and I think there was more to it, obviously, with Colin Kaepernick or guys that ran sort of that spread option was, you know, could you have this guy as a backup? It's like, well, yeah, we could, but we'd need two offenses. You know, we, we'd have to we'd have to essentially install a totally different plan for a guy whose skill set is so drastically different than Tom Brady's. You know, if you look at the quarterbacks on the roster, right, um, and they got one that's 43, 33, and 23, I think, uh, but – you know, basically, it's they all they all are. You know, Gabbert's pretty athletic. He's, he'd be the most athletic guy, but but they're all pretty much the same guy. They sit in the pocket. They have strong arms. Um, you know, they 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 play that style because they're good fits for this offense. This is what this offense is. It's a pocket offense. It's a 
it's a down the field, you know, um, you know, try to score in five plays, you know, vertical, mostly vertically based, you know, attack. And so therefore the quarterbacks look the same. You, you wouldn't have, you know, Brady with a Michael Vick, you know, back in the day. Um, that would be a dramatic change. So you just don't have enough hours, you know, to install two separate offenses for your quarterback. There might be some things that, you know, maybe more bootlegs or waggles or things you could do to get guys on the edge, utilize their athleticism, that sort of thing. That's already part of the offense. But for the most part, um, you're you're just not going to change. All right, Joe tweeted, Have you seen anything from O.J. Howard this year to suggest he has Pro Bowl potential, as the media so often refer to him, or that he can reliably be viewed as one of Tom Brady's many weapons on this team? I've seen 13 catches and one touchdown through eight games, including five when Rob Gronkowski was out yesterday, along with the numerous missed blocks and his typical less than full speed effort. What am I missing? Um, I get this question a lot about OJ, and I, I don't know why there is. I mean, I kind of do. You know, he was a first round pick. You know, understand that they did not take him number one, two, or five overall. I mean, this guy was like number 19, okay? And they, at the time, weren't even looking necessarily for a tight end. Uh, he sort of, he's one of those guys that fall to you that you go, you know what? We, we did not expect him to be here. We had him rated much higher than this um, as an athlete, as a tight end. I mean, this guy was, you know, was he any good winning national championships for Alabama? Did he not take over one of those games uh, against Clemson? And so... You look at him and you go, okay, six five, six six, two hundred fifty one pounds, runs a four five two. Uh, is raw because he spent most of his career at Alabama blocking, not receiving. But the times you did see him with the ball in his hands, he was unstoppable. So would they have drafted him again? Yeah, I think so. You know, we've talked about this. Like OJ Howard, a couple of things have happened to OJ Howard. And they haven't been good. I mean, he had a couple of, of ankle injuries that ended his season early uh, when he when was early in his career. Um, you, you know, the team he was drafted on wasn't very good. If you recall, you know, Jameis Winston was a rookie, okay, and, and spent five years, you know, throwing it to wrong the wrong people. Um, they went through a, 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 you know, I mean, Dirk Cutter was predominantly the offensive coordinator and then the head coach. But they went through some coaching changes as well during his career here. And then he had the worst thing happen to any player. He, he tore his Achilles. You know, I don't know. You know, it's so, much, it's so easy for people to tolerate other people's pain. You know, it's like, hey, have you ever torn your Achilles? It hurts. It takes nine months to get you back on your feet again. Not forget about playing football. Okay, forget about let's just try to walk. Okay, let's just try to get our calf back to what it was before you – immobilized it for six and a half, seven weeks. Um, you know, these, these are, these are dramatic injuries, you know, in, in, to elite athletes. Um, and in this case, OJ had never, had never sustained anything serious before. So he spent his entire off season, not playing football. He spent his entire off season getting himself back to where he could play football and wasn't really cleared until after training camp had started. And even then they had him on a pitch count. He wasn't out there every day. He wasn't running full speed. You know, he didn't have the predominant amount of reps. And, oh, yeah, a year ago, a guy named Rob Gronkowski showed up. So let's uh, let's judge O.J. because the greatest tight end in the history of football uh, comes back out of retirement and wants to play and ends up staying healthy 
all the way through the Super Bowl. So how much is OJ supposed to play? You know, all these things are factors. If he wasn't any good, they wouldn't have picked up his fifth-year option. They wouldn't be paying him $6 million. And the fact that, you know, he's able to get out there now with Gronk out is only going to help him. He needs to play. You know, he's trying to to find his way uh, after this injury. And there's a confidence issue. Um, you know, you're usually better a year out as opposed to, you know, nine months or ten months out after the injury. You'd like to play a whole season. Uh, and, and so, you know, I think he's slowly building that up. But people expect him to go out there and be Kellen Winslow. Uh, it's just not going to happen, you know. Um, first of all, let's rank the weapons, okay? Who's your best receiver? Mike Evans. Who's your second best receiver? Chris Godwin. What about Antonio Brown when he was started the year, the first four games? He was on fire. Okay. What about Gronk when he was healthy? Yeah, pretty good. A lot of touchdowns. Had a bunch of tutties early in the game, early in the season. So already I've got four or five weapons because it's this team. He's on this team. Okay. He's not playing for the Miami Dolphins or, you know, uh, you know, some some bad football team, the Detroit Lions. He, he's the fifth or sixth weapon on this team, and they have to put two tight ends on the field for him to play until Gronk got hurt. So I don't understand the OJ hate because that's what I think it is. You know, it's it's always funny to me. Like you win a Super Bowl, you're six and one. Okay, now you're six and two. Let's find out the guy who's not killing it. Let's go. Let's go after that guy. Let's ask a question about that guy. Uh, the media, this and the media. They sound like, you know, it's it's kind of like my friend Michael Clayton. Rick, the media drives the narrative. I'm not driving any narrative. I'm just saying they don't give away six million dollar fifth year options if you can't play. They don't do it. It's this is not a charity. Okay, these guys who get paid to evaluate players and talent, they've made the decision you know, to keep him around for a good reason. They see they see what he can become or what he already is, and they want him on their football team. And I I think as, you know, the more he plays, if he gets to continue to play now with Gronk's situation up in the air, I think he's gonna get better and better. I know Brady loves him, but I think I think it's I think his problem now is is coming back from a serious injury. And it's confidence, it's reps, it's all of that. So you know, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I don't think he's going to Canton, you know, but not many guys that get drafted in the first round do. Uh, I would just say that, you know, they're lucky to have him because when you lose Gronkowski and you've got guys like O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait, that's that's pretty good depth at your tight end position. All right, Eddie tweeted, Hindsight is twenty twenty, but seeing how the Bucks have been hit by the injury bug, if they had to do it over again, do you think they would have selected Kyle Trask with that second-round pick? Well, it is 2020. Uh, I'd have to go back and look and see. I'm sure there was probably a corner. Um, I'm trying to think of the, the, the positions of need right now. I mean, you know, defensive back is it, right? Well, yeah, based on the injury thing that he referenced, you would yeah. think a cornerback. So, but you're talking third-round cornerbacks because that was the last pick of the second round. Right. It wasn't right. a high second-round pick. This is, you know – the last pick. Yeah, so. it's essentially a third rounder, yeah. yeah. Um <clears throat> I'm gonna say no, and, and and the reason I say no is because, you know, they they sort of made a decision, you know, 
that this year, looking at looking at last year's quarterback class, which was pretty good. Okay, starting with Trevor Lawrence, right, Justin Fields. Um, that you know they they look down the road. This next year's quarterback class. Mm, tell me who's going number one, two, and three. I don't know if you can, right? And I don't think they're 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 not anywhere nearly as as high regarded as quarterbacks last year in last year's draft. So the opportunity to get a Kyle Trask where they did. Um, to put him behind Tom Brady for at least two years. This is sort of who Kyle Trask has been, right? Going back to high school, he didn't start. Derek King did. Went to Florida, didn't start. Felipe Franks did. He bought, he you know he would bide his time on the bench, learn, get better, improve. And then when he got his opportunity, he always rips it, right? He just crushes it. He's terrific. Well, you know, you don't wouldn't do it for every quarterback, but for this guy, they felt like the value was there. They weren't going to play him right away. Um, and it's undeniable, you know, I mean, I think they've done a pretty good job of, of, you know, signing free agents, you know, Richard Sherman, whoever it takes to win right now, right now. And and that's what the season is about. Um, and so a third round corner, could he help you right now? Mm, maybe, you know, or maybe you need the experienced guys like Pierre Desir, you know, um, guys that have been in the fire before and uh, Richard Sherman. And you know maybe maybe that's who you want to play anyway, instead of a rookie out of the gate because you have injuries at you know at corner. I I just think that you know there's no more value uh, at any position than quarterback in this league. At some point Brady's going to be gone. They want to have somewhere to start, someone to start with. They wanted to give him two years to learn. So all of that you know was unique to to just Kyle Trask. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Well, and you look at this year's quarterback class too. If you look at most of the mock drafts in that, one or two quarterbacks in the top ten, it's not a good draft class for quarterbacks this year. Um, defensive linemen's got a lot. You know, I mean, presumably Lions are going to take a quarterback overall number one. But, I couldn't tell you who it is, and they couldn't either. Probably uh, the mock draft I'm looking at says Malik Willis. You know him <laughs> for who? <laughs> Where's he playing these days? Liberty. Liberty. Give me Liberty or give me no quarterback. Wow. Yeah, see? So, I mean, you know, your top guys this year are like Thibodeau out of Oregon and Stingley, the cornerback from LSU, and Evan Neal, the offensive tackle from Bama. Non-quarterback. Kyle Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame. Yeah. I mean, these are your top, you know, this year's quarterback class when you looked ahead was like not great. So if you needed a quarterback for the future, you probably had to take it last year since you didn't take it the year before. Yeah. Well, I mean, Trask, you know, he's an interesting player. He played at a really high level at Florida. Uh, you know, got into a, a duel with Alabama that I thought he should have won. Um, we know what he can do when he has talent around him because he certainly had it there. I, I think it's a worthy it's a worthy attempt to say, hey, when Brady is gone, uh, we're not relying on what our draft – and remember this too. As long as Brady is here, where are you picking the next year? You're not picking in the top ten, right? Mm-hmm. So unless you go get a free agent and hope that you know Aaron Rodgers is ready to move on or Russell Wilson's ready to move on, and you do, you know, sort of the whole, you know, Matthew Stafford trade type deal. Unless you're willing, unless you're lucky enough to do that or willing to do that, you're going to be taking a quarterback at the end of the first round anyway, or the second round. So you got him now instead of you know. 
two years from now, and, and he's in your system, and he's in your he, – more importantly, he's in the quarterback room with, with Tom Brady for two years. So, I look, we'll see if it pays off. Um, he's working his butt off. He does not – he does not – take for granted that you know he's he's the number three guy um and he's doing what he's always done which is prepare and and he's going to get his chance I think it's going to be tough um but he'll be more prepared than anybody they would get out of college that that year I promise you that all right Peter had emailed he said he has two questions number one is Byron Kennedy going to be this year's Steve Bartman it's not like he asked for any of the social media attention just the wrong place at the wrong time if there is such a thing and number two, we always hear about Tom Brady's discipline and regimented sleep schedule. Supposedly, the guy's in bed before my children. Well, may, yeah, maybe your children should go to bed earlier. That's all I'm saying. I mean, I don't know. I don't mine know should. Children, yeah, I know mine, mine. We try to get them down at 9, 30, 10. It ends up 10, 30, 11, which is terrible. Actually, let me finish that question, too. So he said, with all these 8 p.m. games this season, as well as those that he had in New England, wouldn't this be a disadvantage considering how tuned in his body is? Well, I think that's why he gets his sleep so that he can stay up late, you know, like grandpa for the big for the big events. Um I I you know, he tries to to stay rested and and you know, no. I he's been playing Monday night, Thursday night, Sunday night his entire career because he's an elite quarterback that's always on elite teams because he's the elite quarterback. So, he he prepares himself for all all those situations and it's one day, one night, whatever. Um sleep is you know, from all the studies I did, and I didn't do a lot of them, but I remembered studying them in college. The the most, probably the thing that affects your health more than anything else. There's probably two things. Well, there's more than two, but let's 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 narrow it down to this: hydration and sleep. And of those two, probably sleep because it's the only way the body can repair itself. Um, the mind works better. You know everything and. And believe me, having done morning radio and this job for five years, I can tell you it has a negative impact on your life when you don't get enough sleep. Now, can we all get eight hours or you know go to bed at 9 p.m. like Tom Brady? Maybe not. But it's working for him, and, I mean, he doesn't have to sell, sell you on anything because he does it. So I don't know that it's a disadvantage. I think he's able to – he's done this for 20 years. I think he knows how to prepare for those later night games when he's getting to bed at, you know – Midnight, one a.m. I mean, look, they get on plane. You know, you're in Los Angeles. The game ends at, I don't know. Uh, you're you're probably on the plane coming back at ten up ten p.m., eleven p.m. Eastern time. You get in at four or five in the morning. You know that that happens frequently. And we have night games in Boston. And those guys are getting home sometimes. You know, the sun's coming up. So, um, you know, they they have to find ways. Uh, to get their rest, which is important that you get your rest the rest of the week and and things like that. As far as Byron Kennedy goes, no, he's not Steve Bartman. I mean, you know, Steve Bartman was a pariah because it was, you know, perceived that he took a ball away from Moses Alou that would have gotten them out of an inning, you know, um, in Chicago in, in, in that, was it the World Series or the NL Championship, one of them? Yep. So I, I just think that, this guy bought a ticket, went to a game, sat in the first row, wore a Mike Evans jersey, didn't know that Tom Brady, okay, didn't know, like, understand this, didn't know Tom Brady. He didn't know he had thrown his 600 touchdown pass. Mike Evans hands him a ball. He's like, yay, I got a ball. 
And then what's what happens? Did he yeah, did he face some criticism and I can't believe he gave the ball back years or worth having listen, all I know is this. I you add up what, what he take, was I'll given. I'll take that Bitcoin. Yeah, you yeah, right. You add up what he was given, it's over a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, he got season tickets, season passes for the rest of this year for all of next year. Two of them, by the way. He got autographed uh, jerseys, two autographed jerseys, helmet, two from uh, Mike Evans as well. I mean, the guy, the guy made out. And all he, what did he do? He just went to the game, man. He just bought a ticket to the game. That's all he did. He wore, he, he wore the right jersey that day. He wore a Mike Evans jersey, and Mike Evans was handing him out, you know, like Oprah. Um, and he caught three that day, and he handed three of them away. Just so happened that one of them was the golden ticket. So, yeah, uh, Bartman had beer dumped on him, had to be escorted out with armed guards, had to go into exile in Chicago, you know, all those things. I mean, it was terrible what happened to him. I mean, there is no comparison. He didn't cost them points. Hell, they had just scored a touchdown. You know, it's not like he ran onto the field and knocked one away from Mike Evans. Um, so, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a terrible comparison. And I don't know why people, you know, well, if that had been my ball, Yeah, no, I don't think so. If you know, if you're standing there and they go, "Hey, Tom Brady wants this football," and you're a Tom Brady fan, and you're a Mike Evans fan, you're going to give it back. You know, most people would, I think. I mean, otherwise, like you suddenly recognize, "Oh my, I'm sitting on a half a million dollar football. Let me let me go now and try to sneak out of this stadium with it, and then you know, call my lawyer and start the auction. You know, for how much I can sell this thing for. I just, I don't think most people act that way. He's a fan. He should have made an NFT of it first and then given the ball back. So he could have sold that and then also still get the Bitcoin. That's true. But who thinks like that, right? Like you even know, like they come over there. Hey man, can we have the ball? He's like, why? Well, we'll give you another one. It's it's, it's kind of special. It's 600. Oh, okay. You know, like he, I mean, you know, pressure the moment, like, you know, maybe you want to meet Tom Brady. So you got to be prepared for these moments. It's like Tom Brady. You got to, you know, you got to be prepared. Got to make those decisions quick. I guess. I mean, how about the kid? I mean, you know, that happened, and then the, the kid that um, Tom had cut the video for that had cancer. His dad. They ended up in the front row too, behind the bench. You know, and had this mm-hmm. had the sign, the great seats. But if they're like in the three hundred section, no one's seeing that sign. No, nope. unless it's on TV. Chris Godwin. It took Chris Godwin going over there and giving him a pair of gloves. And then coming back to Tom saying, yo, man, this guy over here. And Tom was still into the game, like even though he wasn't playing. He was like sitting there with Gabbert and stuff. So, you know, things happen, man. He's just right place, right time. Bartman, wrong place, wrong time. <laughs> um, and, and and that's the other thing, too. Like you go back, I've seen these 30 for 30s, and it's like, hey, what about the six other people who were leaning in there trying to catch that yep. foul ball? You know, it just happened to be him that was picked on. So anyway. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Good question, though. Appreciate the question. All right, less asked. The Florida Gators were playing the number one team with the number one defense, and they decided to give Anthony Richardson his first start. 
Did Dan Mullen let the fan base pick his starting quarterback? And do you think he was coaching scared? Losing to Georgia isn't a crime, but that game was not a good look for Florida. Well, it wasn't a good look, but not not because Anthony Richardson started the game. Um, I think he, you know, first of all, he had resisted playing Richardson for a number of reasons. Um, When he was healthy, it was because he felt like he wasn't prepared to handle all that you need to handle. I mean, it, it... you know, people just think, oh, the quarterback goes up there, takes the snap, drops back, throws the ball to somebody. No, no, it's not like that. You, you got to understand defenses. You've got to set the protections. Um, you've got to understand the rotation of, of the secondary, the pre-snap, the post-snap looks that you're getting. There's an awful lot to playing the position. And Richardson is just one of these like ridiculously gifted athletes who can throw it a mile, who can run like a deer, um, has a knack for making big plays, instinctual, all those things. But did he know the offense? Did he did he understand all you need to to function um, on an every play basis in that offense? I think you, you think you have to trust Dan Mullen for what he sees. You know, uh, whatever days they practice in, in college, I don't know Monday through Thursday, whatever it is. Um, you know, you have to you have to respect that, and and he knew in his mind that Richardson wasn't ready in the beginning of the year, got him reps, I think he got hurt. But heading into the Georgia game, look, I think before that, uh, people could see that he was, that, that Richardson was special, you know. And you probably were going to need something special to beat Georgia because Georgia, number one team in the country, unbelievable defense. You might need some unscripted plays. You might need a guy that has his sort of athletic ability and just his knack um, for making plays. And so I, I think coaches always, always play the players that they think that week gives them the best chance to win. You know, they would play, they would play my 94-year-old mom if they thought she gave them the best chance to win um, because that's ultimately that's all they're judged on. They're not judged on anything else. Coaches are judged on winning or losing. And so uh, we're, we're down, you know, further down in the season. Um, probably got better at practice. We know he made big plays in games. So he went with them. But I don't, I don't think he was coaching scared. I think he was being aggressive. You know, I think he, I think he recognized that, you know, we're going to have to make some plays early, you know, some big plays to hang with these guys. And they didn't do it. Um, and, you know, n- none of their quarterbacks did, quite frankly. They were shut out until the end of the, 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 the game. So, you know, I, I, I wasn't surprised he played. The fan base was yelling for him. Yes, they're, they're not out of tune to that either, right? I mean, the boosters pay that money. You know, they, they're up there in those sky suites, and they, they pay your salary, and they're going to buy they're gonna pay your buyout if, they, if, if you don't make them happy. So I'm sure he felt pressure and a lot of chatter. But really, did he, did he hurt his team by starting him? No. I mean, just, Georgia was better that. I mean, Georgia's just better. And and it's funny because Mullen now won't talk about recruiting. We'll get into this with Matt Baker this week uh, when we talk to our college football writer, as we do every week. But Mullen didn't want – now all of a sudden it's like, no, I want to talk about recruiting. Last year, after the – he talked all about recruiting, They, you know, um, and, and he's done that in the previous years. Now it's like, eh, I'm going to wait till the season's over to talk about recruiting. Well, why? Well, because you don't have anything to talk about. You know, that that's a glaring – red flag 
on Dan Mullen is that he has not recruited to the standards of these other teams in the SEC. I think he can coach. I don't think he has the talent. I don't think he has it, you know, in the the depth of talent that these other teams, you know, the, the top teams in the SEC have. So it's a sore subject, and he's not. That's why he's not talking about it. But no, I I don't think coaching scared. I think he knew he needed something special. They're four and four. They're going to have to beat the South Carolinas and Florida States and all those guys coming down the stretch and and see if they can make themselves bowl eligible. But it sure is a bad season for him right now. All right, we'll end on this, and Michael had tweeted. This has been discussed often, but I want to hear from you. If you could make changes to our game, what would they be? can be related to on-field play, television broadcast, access to players, etc. What would you like to see? And I'm assuming he's referring to football. Well, um, that's a whole podcast, and maybe we should just do that one day. <laughs> I mean, really, because you know we're always looking for topics. But I'll give you my I'll give you my very very brief uh, for me anyway unabridged you know abridged version. Um, it depends on what areas you're talking about. Uh, I think first, maybe not in this order. First and foremost, the league needs to do a better job of preparing players and taking care of them after their careers. Um, I've done this for three decades now. I can't tell you the number of guys, not just the guys that I covered, but on other teams because my wife is involved in the, the Golden Heart Fund, which is something that the 49ers organization themselves created to help their players. Okay, This is part and in, 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 in away from what the NFL has, is doing right from a medical standpoint, head injuries, all that. Um, you know, these guys, uh, you know, are, you know, very often done with their careers or football careers before the age of 30. And they are unprepared financially, uh, what to do with their money, uh, how to transition from a game they've played since they were eight or 10 years old to real life. Because, you know, you're still a young man. You're, you sort of live your life in reverse, right? You've made the most money you're ever going to make. Um, you've been held on a pedestal. Nothing is going to top running out into that arena with 75,000 people screaming for you on Sunday. Um, they just need they need to do a better job of taking care of the players once they leave the game, as well as they take care of them when they're in the game. And it's a complicated subject. You know, owners have to take that initiative. They're, they're not prone to give away money um, other than what's negotiated in the CBA, unfortunately. Um, but we need to do a better job. There's too many of these guys that are suffering, um, not just with head injuries. I mean, you know, you, CTEO, I mean, all, look, we can debate the game and whether it's safe and, and, and what happens, and, you know, but you've got a Vincent Jackson. You've got examples all around, right, and, and on every team. And I just know too many of these guys. Keith McCants recently who struggled with drug addiction. Um, it's unfortunate. You know, it's heartbreaking, really, when you see these guys um, – 10, 20 years after their playing careers and they look like they're 80 years old and they move like, you know, even worse. And, um, you know, they've gone through bankruptcies and divorce and it's just terrible. It's heartbreaking. I don't think we do a good enough job. Um, so I'll stop there. I'll add one more because this is my soapbox. Um, and nobody will understand this, especially our audience, because you guys just read what's in the papers and, and, and see what's on TV and you think that's fine. And for you, it probably is. Um, but you don't know what you're, what you're not getting. And because of this pandemic, 
I understand, you know, a year ago when there weren't vaccines, um, you know, why uh, the protocols were in place to protect players. Uh, They were in place to protect us. Uh, They were in place to protect employees. All of that. Um, Now we've had vaccines, you know, for a year or going back to January. Um, All the writers that I, most of the writers I know of that cover the team on a regular basis are all vaccinated. The players are vaccinated. Um, you know, we wear a mask if we're around them, uh, within a certain distance, we can do all that. What we're not allowed to do is we're not allowed back in the locker room. And that's a problem. Everybody's like, well, why do you need to go in the locker room anyway? Well, because during the week, you know, to have access to 53 players for 45 minutes, now they're all in there at the same time waiting for us to interview them, but to be able to walk up to somebody separate from, you know, the gaggle of TV cameras and, and what we get now on the patio um, enables us to do our jobs better. You know, it builds relationships between the reporter. It builds trust uh, between the players and, and whoever, you, whoever you're writing about. And you actually get to know them. They get to know you as people, not just somebody that, you know, uh, covers them. So I think we're, we've lost some perspective we've we've lost some accountability um and i'm not i'm not trying to hammer the bucks on this per se um but it's been used throughout the league and i think by the bucks as well as a shield you know i mean basically we come to work every day and they give us the menu and we got to cook a meal right i mean one week and this has never happened to me in three decades and i'm not knocking special teams because i like all the guys on special teams but one week, we ended up writing nothing but special team stories. Now, I know it's an important part of, 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 the, of the football you know, game. What do they say? It's one-third of the game. But to have nobody to talk to really significant uh, outside of the coach and the coordinators, which they have to give us and the quarterback. They have to give you the coach, the coordinators, and the quarterback every week. That's all you're guaranteed. But that's negotiated with the pro football writers. But, to, you know... There's been games where, you know, L.A. Rams, okay, they go out there and they lose. They have a egregious breakdown, you know, a coverage bust. I mean, they they come out in the second half and the Rams are facing third and ten. And if they get the ball back and score, this is a whole new game, right? They take the lead. Instead, they give up a 75-yard touchdown to, to John Jackson. And it's an absolute bust. And Antoine Winfield Jr., Carlton Davis, all those guys, they're the ones involved on that side of the field. But after the game, we don't get to hold anyone accountable. We, we can't even ask the question of somebody who was actually involved in that play. Instead, we got Ross Cockrell. Well, Ross Cockrell wasn't over there. You know, he was, he was defending his slot receiver on the other side. He didn't know what happened. So that's what I mean. It's like, you know, Mike, and, I, and I'm not, again, I know I'm on my soapbox, and I apologize if this ruffles some feathers over at the Bucks. But, um, you know, after Mike Evans handed that number 600 ball away, Mike Evans had three touchdowns in that game. And whatever you want to say about Byron Kennedy and that whole situation, we wrote about it. We talked to him immediately after it occurred during the game. Joey, Joey Knight wrote a story while the game was still going on. Yes, we would have asked Mike Evans, you know, hey, man, we saw you on the bench. I guess you didn't know how bad you feel. And it would have been one quote, and that would have been it, right? Mike Evans had three touchdowns in that game. You know who didn't come to the podium after that game? 
Mike Evans. How does that happen? Was it an oversight? Did he sneak out of there? Oh, we didn't stop him. Oh, sorry, you got Yeah, you know what? We probably. Mm. If there was an open locker room, there would have been a gaggle of cameras and reporters around Mike Evans' locker. Whether he wanted to shower, dress, be clean, go to a podium, whatever. We would not have left that locker room or that day without talking to Mike Evans, nor should we have. Okay? I have yet to talk to Mike Evans and ask him the first question about number 600. You know who did? Fox. They asked him because they had access to him before this past game because they're a TV partner. So I want us to get back to normal. I want us to get back to being able to report stories and not just be given a menu. Like, here it is, make a meal. You know, that's not journalism. It's just not. It's not what I've done for 30 years. It's not what any of these reporters that cover the NFL have done. Now, does that mean our coverage is worse? Well, I think I think readers are worse off for it because we don't simply have access to ask the questions. What happened? You know, when the game, when the game, when when a, when a defensive back Jamal Dean had a terrible game, you know, earlier this season, didn't get to ask him what happened. You know, uh, I remember when Jamal Dean had a similar game as a rookie in Seattle. I stood there for twenty five minutes with the guy. You know, sometimes there's things going on in their lives that you're not aware of. And maybe that would add some perspective to the whole conversation and make fans have more information and and would understand better exactly what what went wrong. But we can't do that. And I think that the league is using the COVID and the protocols and all of this as a shield. They're going to manage the news. They've invested a lot of money in their own products, their own websites, their own, you know, um, media, team media. And and they're they're in competition with us and everybody else for, for but they have unfettered access. Why would they give that away now? And I have my doubts. And I've talked to Lindsey Jones about this, the president of the NFLPA or not the NFLPA. That would be quite a promotion. The president of the Pro Football Writers, and she thinks that we will be back in the locker room one day. I I don't think so. I I, I think the league loves managing the news, and it's good news every time. You're going to get the good stories, you know, the positives. Like, and it's not that we're out here you know, trying to, to invent Watergate you know, inside of one buck place. But there, there comes a time when there needs to be some accountability. I was impressed. And I told Nelson, uh, Luis, the director, public relations director over there, media relations, that Devin White came to the podium after that game on Sunday. And I asked for him to. And they recognized that he probably needed to. But you know what? I was also surprised, and I shouldn't have been surprised. I mean, Devin White had three egregious penalties, you know, and, and, and he knocked the quarterback out for the season. I didn't think we'd see him. I really didn't. And I, I was impressed that Devin was able to stand up there and be accountable, and that's what you expect. That That's part of the job, you know. So I would change that. So now I'm off my soapbox. Now i got everybody mad at me over at the Bucks and all that, but I think the readers, ultimately, it's not about me because I'm going to do my job as best as I can do it. Look, i got connections in the coaching staff. I'm going to do it better than anybody else does it over there. You're going to have to come to me. I'm going to be the authority on this team because I have those relationships. But even having said that, I still think the readers are getting cheated. And I think the players are going to be worse off for it because sometimes perspective is something everybody should have and, and should have context, mm-hmm. you know. And and if they don't have a chance to talk to you about the context of a play, of a situation, of their lives, what's going on, then how can the readers have it? 
So now I'm done. Now you're done. Now I'm done. Yeah, we've talked about that many times, and yeah, and I I agree with you completely. I think you know consumers, whether it's you know television, radio, newspapers, the consumers are 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 not getting what they used to get. No. And, you know, when it's a sanitized version of everything. Absolutely. It's not it's not it's not good in the long run. I mean and, and you know, as you said, look, last year totally get what happened. Mm-hmm. You know. But absolutely. You know, there's ways to do it better now. And some some are trying, some aren't. It just don't use it as a hammer. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it should not be a hammer. It it, it you know, Whatever protocols you need to enact it for safety, if you can prove to me that those are actually there for safety, fine. But then when I see that you're managing everything else around it and and, and making it harder uh, for no reason, that's when I have a problem. But anyway, we didn't, we didn't solve anything. But, but the answers were 100% yeah. correct today. Some great questions, by well, the way, too. My change, if you care. Yes. End replay. I'm tired of it. I am you know, tired I, of I, watching a big play in the game that swings for momentum. For all sports or football? All of them. I'm tired, of watch, of them. I'm tired of watching big plays that swing momentum, and then you have to stop for three minutes to, to, for an official to go over to some video monitor, hop on a headset, and tell them, no, 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 we want to do this differently. And most of the time it stays the same. I mean, yeah. to be honest, these officials, uh, umpires, refs, whatever the sport is, for the most part, they're damn good. They're pretty good, yeah. Uh, you know, there's not that many egregious misses. Okay, one thirtieth of a second frame that the, the the player's foot hit the bag first, or the player sliding into second pops off the base by you know blade of gl- grass in between on the slide. I mean, really, we're calling that out now. I, I just you sit there and we watch a big play, and what happens is you cheer and then you go, wait a minute, was that actually a catch? Was it not? Was it a pick? Was it a was it a sack? Was it a throw? Was but look at the suspense it causes for five minutes. You're, you're on the edge of your seat. You have to know. Yeah, but but all that momentum <laughs> that you gained from that play, you lost. No, I, I think they do it poorly. Um, technology has unfortunately made it impossible to put the genie back in the bottle, I'm afraid. I mean, it's like, okay, because, hold on. This play happened. Hold on. Let me call back to the video room. Hold on. Let me well, on the well you know the worst, the worst thing that's happened, in, in addition to technology, is they, they spent all this money on these giant video boards at the stadiums. And now people can see yes. in real time the guy screwed up, and so it's like, uh, are we going? Are these referees going to get out of here alive today, or can we correct this? That that's what. Look, I mean, the money, everything's at stake. You know, it's so high that you know once we've let we we let the monster out of the cage, you're not going to. It's just not going. It's not going the other way. But I would agree with you. I don't think the intent of replay was ever supposed to be a Zapruder like. Uh, but much, much more well, clear. And not only uh, that, not only that. High but, def, you know. But every guys one of these leagues off the bag. Every one of these leagues will tell you that. Oh, well, replay is to help us get the call right. Well, then why isn't everything reviewable? Well, that was all. Yeah, that was always a complaint of coaches that I covered. Like, what about holding? So you're telling me if I'm going to sack a quarterback, but the guy has his arms around the waist of the of the defender, and that pass is thrown and it's a touchdown, that that's not reviewable. Yeah. That that cost us the game yeah. and. There are times you go to replay and they get it wrong. I'm like, that's how does that too. happen? That's true too. That that's really infuriating. You're right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, we, I, love, I mean, the officials are not perfect by any means, and they never have been in sports. Yeah, but I just it's like it's so frustrating to watch games and and uh, there's been some games that it's like every other play is a review, and you're like, can we just play the yeah. game already? 
<laughs> yeah, it's ruined the product. It slowed it down, and they they need to do the execution of it is horrible. You know, um, I don't know. I don't. You know, the whole and college football is really wild because you're sitting here. There's no challenge flag, so you're sitting here going, "Are they going to review that? Like, did yep. he just missed that call?" And then all of a sudden, they. I mean, I've seen I've seen teams actually snap the ball and go into the next play, and then the referee is waving. Nope, nope, that play didn't count. We got a bu- I got buzzed. I got buzzed on my hip. We're going back to the last play that was done 15 minutes ago, and now we're gonna look at that one. You know, it's just it, it, again the execution of it. You know, now, is the, really bad. Now the one caveat I will say now, in particular, you know, in football, I do like that when they call a targeting call, they review it to see if it actually was. In, in particular, because the punishment is kicking a kid out of the game. In college, yeah, yeah, it's so you know, so, so punitive. In yeah. that case, I'm like, I'm glad they review those plays. Yeah. Because I don't want to kick a kid out if he if it wasn't targeting if it really wasn't, you know what what the official thought they saw on the field in those cases because that, that's purely a safety issue too, yeah. um you know so in that case I'm I'm okay with it but in general I'm just tired of watching games where you just keep stopping mm-hmm. for for reviews you know it's just it, it's just infuriating as a fan watching I mean but you know I, pe- people will tell you that the officiating I mean and I hear this every year at the same time it's the worst officiating I've ever heard ever seen in my life is is it the, the, but it is true the game is much faster than it used to be it's faster and and you now have HD replay that can show you every blade of grass on the field right. to see if right. the ball actually touched one of them before you caught it but I mean, you like know, in, you know, it, you know t- 15 years ago 20 years ago your TVs you could barely tell if if the ball no. It was even near the ground. Right, it was just grainy. It's like the guy held it up. You know, if he rolled down and held it up in the air. Oh, yeah, he got it. He got it. There it is. He still got the ball. It's like, yeah, what a catch. Um, yeah, I, I get that. But the other thing is, you know, not that many years ago when I started covering the league, what were you reviewing? A fumble? I Like, they ran the ball 45 times a game. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now it's in the air on every play. and And now you have – you know, rules about where you can hit a guy, where you can't hit a guy. Like, you know, the game has sped up. Oh, no um, question. And it's a lot more. And I think it's harder, you know, for some of these officials to 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 stay up to speed with it. I don't I don't think their minds and their eyes react as quickly as as what we're seeing on the field every Sunday. So they do need some help. But if you go all or nothing, you're going to have to carry some guys out because um, – the technology is there, and people are going to see those plays, and they're going to go, "Yeah, that cost them a game. Why couldn't we? Why couldn't we have fixed that?" Because if the intent is to get it right, but like I said, it. like I said, but some of the stuff you can't review, and then others, the replay booth gets it wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, those are the ones where you're like, "Really?" Yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah. yeah I think. We should do like an American Idol, po- like, you know, you, you text in, text number 1179. <laughs> can, I, can I phone a friend? <laughs> yeah, text in 1179 if you think this was a catch. Well, I mean, that's and what golf go, does. Nationwide it, survey says it was. That's what golf does is fans call in when they think they see a rules violation. And it's the craziest <laughs> thing in the world. Do you know that ball moved? That ball moved. It moved. Yeah, it's crazy. That's really nuts. All right, so we're, we're off. We're, get off my lawn, guys. We've, we've yeah. given our grievances today. I feel better. It's not even Festivus there. yet, and we're airing grievances. <laughs> no. Well, yeah, Festivus is coming up. You're right. It's November. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're in Movember. Are we supposed to not shave this month? Is that it? Is this uh, Movember? Mustache? We, I don't even know. Some of my neighbors get into that. I'm not sure what it means. 
All right, so we got uh, some fantastic shows lined up for you, podcasts, and this award-winning program heard around the globe, 18, 20 countries we've heard from. So appreciate all that you guys do out there. Uh, we're going to talk to Matt Baker, our college football writer, of course, about Dan Mullen and the Gators and his recruiting and what's going on, of course, with all the state schools and, and, uh, and around the country and how Michigan managed to lose another big one to Michigan State. Um, so we'll do that. And then uh, we're going to have Mark Topkin. We have not talked to Mark since the end of the, of the uh, baseball season. Of course, we'll have a winner in the World Series here shortly. Uh, I think by the time we talk to Mark, that'll probably be the case. Um, yeah, we're, I taping, thought it was we're taping this before game six, so it's possible yeah. it's over now. It could be over right now as you're hearing this. But, but here's, the, here's the funny thing. Like, Am I right about this? Because I just, I just want to point this out. And I think John Romano wrote about it in the Tampa Bay Times. If you had, Go read his column on TampaBay.com. So the Braves had a pitcher the other day. Who threw five hitless innings and was up two to nothing, I think, in the game, and they removed him from the game, but the Braves still won and no one's saying anything about it? Is that am I right about that? Well the manager said he did it from his gut, not analytics, so Oh, okay. So it's just <laughs> well I mean the the result's the same. But I, so if Kevin Cash had said, you know what, I, I didn't even look at the analytics, my gut just told me he was done. Uh, my and and, and, and you know they're, they're obviously different, but Ian Anderson was pitching. He had a no-hitter, but he had given up three walks, and I think a hit-by-pitch. Um, you know, it wasn't the dominating performance Blake Snell had had, and he also didn't go to a reliever in Nick Anderson, who had struggled all postseason. Yeah. You know, but... But, but at the end of the day, it's whether it works or not, right? Exactly. Oh, exactly. I mean, no one, no one cares. No, no one complains about the landing nope. if you get off the plane. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's well, like, no, some will complain still about the landing. Well, yeah, yeah that, that was a little rough there. Well, you know, I'm just saying, like, if the result is good, we're we're pretty much forget about it quickly. But you know, lose a World well, Series history, game. History's w- written by the winners, so that's right. Absolutely, that's true. But anyway, I just thought it was funny. Like, you know, they took a guy out after five, mm-hmm. and and it worked, and they won the game. So good for them. All right, so we'll talk to Mark uh, coming up here the rest of the week. And uh, listen, we'll be back at it uh, one buck place before you know it. I'm taking a bye week. i got some stories planned for you guys over the weekend. We'll kind of do a midseason review as well. But keep it right here on Sports Day Tampa Bay. We're here each and every Monday through Friday. Thanks for listening. For Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 